0: 3TR Community Radio, 855 AM. You are listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio and paying homage today to the wonderful work of experimental composer and performer Warren Burt. I just played a track called This Is Real, A Journey in the Imagination. And for the next 50-something minutes, I'm going to play an episode that I helped produce for the Victorian Seniors Festival, Warren himself being over 60, is a senior, and agreed to share his thoughts and little snippets of a bunch of different tracks uh, spanning the last 50 years of his career. So please enjoy this special feature as part of the Victorian Seniors Festival. Warren Burt, Experimental Music, you're listening to Thracea.
1: It's not so much the way sound connects people, it's the way people connect with each other. If you are at all adventurous and you want to involve a sense of sound in your life, you should not let anybody stop you from doing that. Uh, and I think that's very good advice.
2: Welcome to the Victorian Seniors Festival. This program has been produced on Jar, Jar Country, and on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past and present, and welcome all First Nations people listening to this program. Please enjoy this special feature on an experimental composer and computer music pioneer, Warren Burt.
1: My name is Warren Burt, and I am a composer and a writer and a uh, performer and an instrument builder and a computer programmer and a critic and uh, a few other things as well. So I do lots and lots of stuff, and I try not to get uh, tied down by any one description of what I do or try to get tied down by any one stylistic uh, thing. I mean, there is this whole thing where they tell you when you're studying that you have to develop your own signature style and that you then make money with the signature style. And I've never developed a signature style. And I was going to say, and I don't make money either, but that's not true. I got an APRA royalty t- payment today. And I went to my bank account and I checked how much is this APRA royalty payment? Because sometimes, you know, there's some money there. And there was. How did I get into weird music? Uh, I went to a Catholic military academy for high school and this did not suit me well at all. I just did not like it. And I then went to the State University of New York at Albany as an undergraduate student. And I hadn't even gone to any classes yet. I just arrived on the campus and gone to the music building and had a quick look and then went to the student center and had a quick look. And I remember it was somewhere between the music building and the student center that this wave of relief came over me, and I said, wow, I think this is a place where my brain is going to be appreciated. I think I'm going to like it here. This was only confirmed by about an hour later, when I kept the appointment that was my reason for going that day, which was to meet the composer Joel Chattaby, who uh, was the composer who was teaching at SUNY Albany. And he had assembled... Moog serial number 003. And I looked at him and went, wow, what's that? And he said, synthesizer. And I said, we play with it. And he says, second year, first year, we have to get you through a few other things like orchestration. And I went, okay. And he said, but I warn you kid, first one's free. And he was right. Uh It was love at first patch cord. And it was Albany was a wonderful place because it was in 1967-68. There was this ideology around that there was no such thing as an individualized art form. Everything talked to everything else. And so I'm studying music, but I certainly was also doing things like uh, classes in theater and classes in visual art. I was a bit of a ceramicist for a while, and so on and so on. So I did lots and lots of things and uh, realized that there are ideas called art, and then there uh, is the application of those ideas in each individual uh, medium. So you could uh, freely go and hop back and forth between things. And this was just the beginning of things like multimedia the idea that you had a particular artistic passion for, say, experimental writing uh, meant that that could easily go into a for particular passion for experimental painting or experimental music. So yes, that's how I got into it. The first first thing I saw was a Moog synthesizer. And then one of the things that happened to me was I got into uh, cheap technology. Another thing that happened was I started playing with computers. That was a couple of years later. And State University of New York at Albany with Joel actually got the largest Moog in the world at that point. This was a thing called Mother, uh, which is interesting because uh, Moog calls their new uh, percussion synthesizer drummer from another mother uh that we called it mother it was uh what eight sequencers and six oscillators and a computer controlled clock and a whole bunch of other modules it was very big very powerful and so i had the luxury of learning um, the very best equipment that was available at the time. And later I had left uh, Albany, I was now studying at the University of California, San Diego, where they had a large Moog and a large Buchla. But on um, my trips back to uh, Albany, because that's where my parents lived, I began playing in Joel's studio. He, was, he said, come on, fine, of course you're welcome here. And he had just gotten the first Synclavier, which was a digital synthesizer. And so I was then playing with, not only with Moogs, but with uh, Synclaviers. and then when I came back to Australia, the VCA had just gotten a uh, Fairlight computer music instrument. And even though I wasn't teaching at the VCA at that point, not for another four years, Richard Hames, who was teaching at the VCA, sure, you're welcome to come along and play with it. On the serious side of things, right from the get-go, I was dealing with the latest synthesizers one by one. Uh, As David Dunn has said of me, give Warren a new piece of technology and in two hours he'll come up with 10 different pieces using it. I developed that sort of facility. Meanwhile, I was also working with Ron Nagorka and we had a group called Plastic Platypus. And in Plastic Platypus, we were specializing, as good young socialists would, with uh, cheap technology so that anything we did was available to the people. At least that was our justification. Uh, Whether any of the people actually followed the lead is up for grabs. Although we certainly did a lot of workshops with a lot of young people and a lot of people were dealing with like cassette recorders. The cassette recorder was our main axe at that point. But both Ron and I were very hot into various kinds of toy synthesizers that came out. And sometimes I would... Being the uh, musical miscegenator I am, I would, of course, do pieces with the latest high technology and the latest low technology together. And I also was writing for instruments at that point and was also just starting to build my own instruments. Uh, Being in San Diego for grad school meant that even though I never met him in person, Harry Parcher's influence was huge. And so I began uh, researching tuning and researching building things. David Dunn, who was one of my best friends when I was in San Diego, was at that point Harry Parcher's caretaker. Harry was very old and sick. David was taking care of him. And I said, David, this is ridiculous. I've got to meet Harry. And he says, yes, you do. And uh, he said, well, he's just in the final revisions of his second edition of Genesis of a music that should take him about two weeks and then we'll arrange for you to come over and I said that sounds good because I have to go back east for two weeks to see my parents so I got back to San Diego phoned up David and he you went know, Harry died last week so I never got to meet Harry but his influence was huge and uh I began doing all sorts of things. I also, when I was in San Diego, began working with a guy up in Los Angeles at that point named Serge Cherepnin. And if you know your music history, you know about the Cherepnin family with Nikolai Cherepnin in the 19th century in Russia, uh, working for the Tsar. And he had a son named Alexander Cherepnin, who was a great neoclassical composer from the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And Alexander had uh, three boys, Serge, Pierre, and Yvonne. Pierre became a stockbroker. Yvonne became a composer, went to Harvard, and until his death about 10 years ago, was quite an interesting experimental composer. Serge started off as an experimental composer, but got seduced by electronics and became an electronic designer. And he started a thing called the People's Synthesizer Project, which was also started with Serge and two of my colleagues who had gone to Albany with, Randy Cohen and Rich Gold. And they were then at California Institute of the Arts studying with Mort Zabotnik. So uh, I uh, got sucked into the People's Synthesizer Project and built a large surge synthesizer for uh, the center for music experiment at university of california san diego where i had become a uh, student assistant so i was involved in, up to my neck in this stuff as well i was uh, involved in non-technological things uh such as i did a lot of uh, experimental writing uh, one of my best friends in San Diego was a young writer who was working with David Anton, who is a performance artist. And her name was Kathy Acker. If your feminist antennae suddenly start uh, wiggling, yes, that Kathy Acker. And she at the time was living with Peter Gordon, who then founded the Love of Life Orchestra. Peter was one of my good music friends in San Diego. And so I got to know Kathy, and we became very good friends. And so. I was very involved with uh, reading things like William Burroughs and the cut-up technique and so on, then began reading Kathy's stuff where she took that you know, like one layer deeper. I'd been doing a lot of stuff with random numbers, chopping up note sources, and so now I did things with random numbers, chopping up word sources. In the end, ended up making a piece called Nighthawk. It's a reading piece, takes about an hour to read. And uh, it's a huge collage, huge cut-up. I then learned to perform it. I was working with Kenneth Gaburo at the time, who's the guy who was doing compositional linguistics. The idea behind which is, what if we treated music like a language and language like a music? So you can see how all these things are going to feed into each other. And so, yeah, I did that. And uh, in fact, one of the pieces I'll play tonight called... uh, 11 anagrammatic chance poems is a one-minute piece, which is in 11 sections, and uh, is using all sorts of uh, cut-up techniques to uh, make itself electronic sounds, and they're all anagrams as well.
3: Rhinoplasty and Wollongong, nasal delivery system, lunch bucket, democratic power base. In patrol, goons lying howl may envy starless lead. Wombat celebrates cocked up urchin. Hollowly, spring onion gnat enslaved slimy rat. Yes, wobbler decimates crackpot eunuch Ignorant holly owl pongs in may Sniveler steady bums concoct weak-hearted republic Snarling loony pig howl not staidly nerveless May blot up wisecrack cheek code number Goon printing shallowly on smelly east avid siren Thick murderous blob We acceptance Lions toll nigh lowly apron as seemly Violist randy doubt cherub's accent worm-like pace Pan I log on holy snorting enslaved misty slayer Croak, obstruct, chewable, impudence. No low, thrilling pony on gas disasters. Me yell, navy duck. Acute, rich brew moans. Elect, bop. No hilly slang. Down portion as an elm vestry lad. Yes. No chic, casual bedwetter muck probe. No holy ranting, posing style metal as nervy as a terrible cow. Cube the damn sock cup. We moved to
1: Ararat a year ago. And one of the things that happened with there was was a grand clean out. I was gonna get rid of a lot of old stuff and stuff I hadn't used for years. So my setup at the moment is uh, one computer, a uh, PC, Pentium 5, and a whole pile of software on it, and one iPad, and then there's another little iPad uh, that also accompanies it. Uh, Well, one monitor and a bunch of video synthesis stuff, which is all inside the computer. Now, everything has now compressed itself so that it's all in the computer, with the exception of iPads and things like that. So I guess the the interesting thing is that I talked about this difference between low tech and high tech earlier. Well, that disappeared. And now my low tech is an iPad Pro, which probably has more power than the computer and my high tech is a computer which probably doesn't have as much power as the ipad pro one of the reasons we got into low tech at that point was that digital's analog converters were very expensive back then today i mean it's like just a chip on a chip you know it's a segment of a chip and so there's no problem with uh you know converting digital signals to sound anymore all that careful aesthetic development of the lo fi aesthetic Uh, Now, if I want the lo-fi aesthetic, I have to select, you know, six bits on the module that does uh, bit reduction, and then I can get the sound of lo-fi. But now it's a choice, not an echo, as a certain right-wing American politician would have said back in the 1960s. Technology not only advanced beyond any wildest dreams I had, it took a lot of the uh, aesthetic distinctions... That we had with like I'm going to make music for the people. Well, now the people can afford anything. You know, they say if you have a certain level of lower middle class existence, you can afford anything. But I then uh, I realized that this is also this interest in technology that or this progression of technology stuff is not just say uh, white middle class composer guys like me in our 70s. Hey, I write for those magazines. And, uh, or I used to write for those magazines. My current health crisis has made me stop writing for those magazines, but I write for those magazines. And so I'm pretty much up to date on anything in the hip hop scene in terms of technology. So what I may be using as, as technology is not what a hip hop artist might be using for technology. But if we sit down and look at the two things, they're incredibly similar. Yeah, it, technology is not just going beyond our wildest imaginings and will continue to do so, uh, I am sure. Uh Lopsided Symmetries is my very first electronic music piece uh i made it on the uh, tiny uh well we thought it was a big deal at the time but the tiny moog at the state university of new york at albany and also in albany uh we had a thing going in the studio which was a cardboard box and into the cardboard box you could put scraps of tape if you thought there was a neat sound that other people could use you could just drop that tape in the box and so about half the sounds in the piece are scraps from that box uh, and uh, which I didn't make. And then uh, the Moog synthesizer there had a couple of oscillators, and it had a ribbon controller. And so I would move my finger along the ribbon control and get either glissandi or if I move my fingers quickly onto the ribbon controller, touching and releasing, uh, then we got <coughs> sort of sounds. And so... It's mostly a live performance with many tracks of found object sounds uh, mixed in. And that's actually quite interesting because there's at least three things that uh, I later went on to do. Or maybe there's three things that I never learned to not do, having done those. Three things I should have learned better than to do. One is live performance, live improvisational performance with electronics. And another one is using scraps and other people's music and found objects and things like that and uh the third one is uh playing in a really amateurish way i didn't spend a lot of time getting all my performance gestures perfect i started slapping my hands around and seeing what we got and so with those three things working with mistakes working with technology as a performance medium and yeah, working with found objects, with those three things, uh, I'm still doing all that stuff. Le Grand knee is a uh, made-up word, which is a uh, an anagram of the word Leningrad. This is because this piece is nodding very heavily in the direction of Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony, the Leningrad Symphony. Listening to the piece, you might not know that. The piece is 70 minutes long, uh, and obviously we're going to hear a very small excerpt from the Fifth Movement. And I had just built a uh, synthesizer called Aardvark 7. Aardvark 7 had counters and dividers mainly, and you could use those with a clock going in to make, tones that would be tuned very purely in the harmonic series in what we call just intonation. These dividers also controlled each other. I could not only get tones in just intonation, it would play melodies, automated melodies in just intonation. And so in the fifth movement, I'm using very fast uh, melodies mostly and making uh, a collection of... uh, very fast, uh, highly in-tune melodies. They're also being played through uh, not only loudspeakers, but also through uh, transducers, which are magnetic objects which can be placed on another object to make that object vibrate as if it were a loudspeaker. So uh, you'll hear some fairly distorted tones, and that's where these electronic tones are then played into What are mostly uh, little cheap tin advertising signs, uh, which have a transducer on them to make them buzz and vibrate. Like I say, it's a 70-minute long piece. Uh, I played it a whole bunch of places all around the world in the late 70s. Yeah, we'll hear maybe like two minutes of it. Starting at about, I'd say, two minutes into the track and going to about four minutes or four and a half minutes in, you will hear some quite, quite boppy little melodies. In 1984, I got a grant from the CSIRO. It was one of their first Artists and New Technologies grants. I uh, used that grant to uh, be assigned to the CSIRO out at Monash, where they had the National Metrology Lab, which is where you measure things, and they had a metal shop. And so in 1970, a uh, friend named Ed Keyes, who is the father of a friend of mine, who is one of the people who is involved in the invention of the computer. He had a single tuning fork made of aluminium and it went ding and I used it in improvisation and then rang for 30 seconds. Very pure tone, lasted for 30 seconds. It was tuned to about a D and uh, I used this in a whole bunch of improvisations. It was one of our staples in plastic platypus uh, just to have this very pure sine wave hanging there. And then I decided once I got the grant from the CSIRO, I could make a whole set of these. And I made a set of uh, four octaves at 19 tones per octave in just intonation of these tuning forks. And I then wrote a whole bunch of pieces for them. One of the pieces was I decided I could use these tuning forks. And since each tuning fork was in a different a different member of this 19-tone just intonation scale, if someone played one of those forks and sang in tune with the fork, they could then sing in just intonation. And so we had 40 members of the Astra Choir with uh, two octaves of tuning forks, and I had a score, and they followed the score, and they uh, then had these whole, as you'll hear, these whole complexes of uh, tones. And uh, so we could have the, tuning forks could then play complexes of these tones and you would hear tuning fork clusters and then you would also hear following on from them the voices singing and imitating the tuning of the tuning forks. And as well we had a, uh, I had an accordion, an old Wurlitzer accordion, and I tuned it to 12 of the 19 notes and then Catherine Sheeve, Uh, My wife, uh, although she wasn't at the time, my wife, she played the accordion part. She was living in Melbourne and she was an accordion player. And so I had these complexes of mathematically determined points for the tuning forks, also determining the accordion part that became a score. Uh, I generated all these mathematical points with the help of a friend of mine, who was a mathematician himself, who was uh, another early pioneer of electronics, a guy named Dr. Henry Hunter. Henry's first claim to fame, which he later was very embarrassed by, was he worked on the USS Nautilus, the uh, first atomic submarine. He gave that up, he totally gave that up and became a peace activist, but he still was involved in mathematics. And one of the things he was involved in was chaos theory. And I was involved in chaos theory and we got together and with his uh, mighty TRS-80 computer we made a whole bunch of patterns produced by Conway's Game of Life and so I had all these patterns produced by the Game of Life which we transcribed into Tuning Fork and accordion scores and that's where the piece came out. The Astra Choir sang and John McHackie was the conductor And it was performed once and once only in the uh, dome room of the State Library. And so that was quite fun. Uh, And it gives the State Library, of course, with 40 forks and 40 voices and an accordion, gives it a completely unique sonic aesthetic In 2004, I got commissioned by the ABC to build a reconstruction of Percy Granger's electric eye tone tool and uh, a photocell controlled synthesizer. And uh, we did. We rebuilt it uh, with seven working oscillators. Granger's plans were for seven oscillators, but he only got three working. Oh, so the, scores, the recordings you have of Granger's free music fast read gliding tones on read turn to that one that uses only three oscillators uh, but we have seven oscillators happening and normally what we did with the free music machine was there's 14 slits seven for pitch seven for loudness and you have a plastic roll which you paint patterns on and you roll the plastic roll over the photocell holes and it will play pitches and rhythms and uh We wrote a number of pieces like that. Hands and samples is just me and Catherine Sheave with our hands moving them over the photo cells. So we both have one hand for controlling pitches and the other hand for the loudness of the pitches. And there are two of us. It's three minutes of us playing uh, in a manual fashion. Probably Percy Granger and Burnett Cross did the same thing back in the 40s, but they never got a recording of it. They had other recordings of the free music machines happening, but they never got a recording of just messing around with the photo cells. So that's what this piece is. Two people many years later with a reconstruction of the Granger machine uh, moving their hands in the air and making handmade music. We have uh, St. John's, Newfoundland uh, is a huge harbor on the east coast of Canada. Every two years for the sound symposium, they commission composers who are there to write pieces for the uh, boats in the harbor uh, playing their horns, their boat horns. And uh, you can do whatever you like, as long as you can convince you know the boat captains that they could learn this part. So... Catherine and I were commissioned to write a piece we did we sat down in a cafe we wrote the score we went to the various boat uh captains they all said oh this is no problem we can do this and so we did it and so i forget there were maybe 10 or 11 boats uh playing their horns one of the things that's interesting is it's all done with telephones and uh, with radio and sinking things. Uh, But what you hear that's what the boat captains hear is time signals and, and cues. But what the public hears is just boat horns. Where you are, since it's such a big harbor, where you are will determine the piece you hear. So two people who are standing next to each other will hear the same piece. But two people who are, say, 100 meters apart will hear a different piece because The sounds take different lengths of time to get there. Water Mood, number two, Hector's Dream. Uh, Hector is Hector Villalobos. And this piece uh, uses the sound of a stream in Wollongong, near where we used to live. And then I take that stream and I mix it in, and I also put it through a pitch to MIDI converter. And so we're now getting uh, MIDI signals that are sort of following the uh, sounds of the stream. That's going into a uh, sampler with piano tones tuned in just intonation. So uh, we have now these just intonation melodies which are playing in tune with the stream. And then we have all sorts of other things, tuned bells and uh, nature sounds and uh, small wind chime, Brazilian bird recordings. That's the other one. I, I took just a, a commercial disc of sounds of birds of Brazil and then did a lot of editing. And so we have Brazilian bird calls and Tibetan and Japanese bells and a small wind chime and the sample just intonation piano. Brazilian birds, of course, because this is Hector Vill- a tribute to Via Lobos, who's Brazilian. I consider it my, this is my absolutely unashamed pitch to be a member of the New Age movement. did a piece, a series of pieces, 24 three-minute pieces called the Nightshade Etudes. Nightshades, well, the tomato, in fact, has the longest DNA of any plant that we know. That's quite an amazing uh, little scientific fact. At least it was in 2012 when I read the article in Scientific American. Maybe by now there's some other plant that they've found a longer DNA strand on. But at that point it was that. And so I thought, well, let's work with the nightshades, which is also nice because some of the nightshades are things that we eat, like tomatoes, and some of the nightshades are things like belladonna that we use to murder people, uh, or we don't use them to murder people. So you've got, the nightshade family is a very diverse thing. Potato, that's a nightshade. Uh, Tobacco is a nightshade. So you can see that they do various good and bad things to the body. Anyway. I've been working with a guy named John Dunn, who was an electronic engineer. He actually wrote the first video synthesis program. Uh, I think it was called Lumia, way way back back when there were like IBM 286 computers, and you could do real time animation with this program called Lumia. Anyway, he uh, had a whole sound side, and so I was working with him on this project called Art Wonk, and before that it was called Music Wonk and before that it was called soft step and before that it was called something else but the final version of it was art wonk so his wife dr marianne clark of texas wesleyan university in fort worth texas is one of the world's experts in the structure of dna and one of the things she does is she turns dna patterns into musical patterns because she says with those musical patterns, you can hear the structure a lot better than looking at any sort of visual graphic. You know, we're going to use uh, sound as a means of understanding the structure of DNA. In Artwonk, uh, there is a complete set of modules which will take DNA patterns in various ways, and there are lots of ways they can be treated, and turn them into MIDI information. And so that's what I did. I used the program and I turned DNA into MIDI information. So then for the first piece, the one we will hear, I was using tomato DNA. Well, I used six different nightshades and made four sets of short pieces. Uh, so six pieces, six, six pieces per set. So there's four different tomato things, four different tobacco pieces, four different potato pieces, and so on. I then, I had just recently gotten the modart piano tech which is a physical modeled uh, piano instrument or keyboard instrument and it has all sorts of wonderful timbres with it like fender Rhodes pianos and uh, all sorts of electric pianos and uh, cymbal alms and string instruments and so on it also is able to be tuned in any microtonal scale so at this point working uh, as, I, as i had been for 10 years at this point working with music theories of a guy named Irvin Wilson. And using Irvin's theories, I developed uh, microtonal scales. So in the Nightshade Etudes, I have 24 different scales, each of which has 21 notes in the octave, and uh, each of which is some sort of just intonation thing based on a mathematical ratio extended into infinity, or at least into 21 tones. And so we have a microtonal scale with some sort of physical modeling of some sort of uh, percussion or keyboard instrument playing DNA patterns derived from a particular vegetable. This last year, I did a piece called In Memoriam, Harold Budd, who I knew, who was very influential on me as a young man, and uh, that's using some very beautiful timbres, and I finished that. That's an hour-long piece. It's about 24 three-minute sections or something like that, Uh, 23-minute sections. I have not actually composed in about Four or five months, which is something I have never done before. I've always been composing every day, every week. Uh, but, uh, these health problems really put me, uh, to one side. I've just now started again thinking about pieces. And one thing I really like is, uh, in terms of following up on synthesizers, I really like VCV rack which is uh, either Mac or PC or Linux. And it's a uh, free uh, software which has hundreds of modules based on uh, all sorts of uh, other things. Like there's a whole bunch. Anything you can get in Eurorack, you can get on your computer screen in VCV Rack, and it will be free or very cheap, depending on which version you get. Uh, And then there's a slightly more expensive version, which also works on uh, iPads called MyRack, M-I-R-A-C-K. So there's VC, VRAC, and MyRack. And uh, I've done a whole bunch of pieces with this already, but I was just in the past few days looking at it again saying, well, now that I'm getting better and I want to get back into composing, this would be a good thing to do. And I began looking at things, and there's a number of interesting modules there. One set of modules is called Geodesics. And uh, Geodesics is has, has written by, I think, a French Canadian guy and a Belgian guy. And uh, they have all sorts of very nice sequencers with a lot of random features. And one is called Isotopes, uh, one of those modules. And I was just for the past few nights looking at this and thinking, oh, I could do something with this. I could start really slow in elementary and build up things one at a time, and so I think that might be the next thing I do is a piece using the geodesics modules in either VCB rack or my <laughs> Sound is uh, basically everything we do, uh, and uh, it's not so much the way sound connects people, it's the way people connect with each other, and uh, if you are at all adventurous and you want to uh, involve a sense of sound or other art forms, other, other creative things in your life, then you should not let anybody stop you from doing that. Uh, There's a wonderful uh, story where Cecil Taylor, 1950s young man, taken onto the back steps of some nightclub. Uh, I think it might have been Sonny Rollins, but it may be somebody else. But they said, don't you ever let anyone stop you from doing that shit that you are doing now. And uh, I thought that was very good advice. I play that video to every composition class I ever have. Uh, That's where this older man is saying, don't you ever let anyone stop you from what you are doing. Uh, And I think that's very good advice.
2: been listening to experimental music composer and computer music pioneer Warren Burt. Thank you to Warren for sharing your music with us. This episode was recorded remotely on Zoom and produced by the Victorian Seniors Festival radio production team, creative producer Nat Grant, technical directors Emma Hart and Nikki Stott, and post-production director Michaela Veshaw. For more information about the festival and to hear more episodes like this one, visit seniorsonline.vic. .gov.au
0: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in
4: Melbourne.
0: You're listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3cr.org.au. And I just played an episode, a podcast produced by the Victorian Seniors Festival, featuring the work and musings of experimental composer Warren Burt and played a bunch of his tracks in between that interview at the end there he talked about the nightshade etudes and we played the first one tomato I'm going to play the other four right now potato tobacco bell pepper and nightshade you're listening to 3CR this is Warren Burt the nightshade etudes
1: You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.
0: There's plenty of specialist music programs to choose from on the 3cr grid explore the 3cr schedule online at 3 crorgau oh, yes this is our
4: vibration.
0: check out music sans Frontier.
3: great voices music matters.
0: Do the hip sister hop show.
1: The heavy session.
3: The planet radio show.
1: Satellite skies. Shindig.
2: Sweet dreams.
1: Tune in to
0: 3CR 855 AM on your digital radio or streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Let our music make you happy. Been listening to the Nightshade Etudes by Warren Burt, and I'm going to go out with a few more tracks from the Warren Burt archives. This first one, "Convoluted Pragmatics" with text by Chris Mann, is from 2008. You're listening to 3 corner of the land. Womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs programme devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security.
1: We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our love. Women on the
0: Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Well and streaming live at
3: 3cr.org.au.
0: you're listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio and today is all about celebrating the work of experimental composer Warren Burt. You just heard more scraps from the lab floor from 1996 and we're going to go out today with one more. This is heat-stressed pelicans at Swan Bay. You're listening to 3CR.